and know him to be a worthy God. I want you to push past your circumstance and your situation. I know you may be going through something right now, but can I tell you your situation doesn't dictate his worthiness? That he's worthy to be exalted and magnified and praised in spite of your situation because he is king of kings, because he is lord of lords, because he looked past our faults and saw our needs. Anybody glad about that this morning? That he died in spite of, that he died knowing the sins that we would commit, but yet he was still willing to go to the cross. Anybody glad about that this morning? That your sin is covered up under the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That both that, that that birds and pigeons and goats understand couldn't do what his blood done. I mean, that's true love. He laid down his life that we might live. Somebody ought to glorify him in this building. Somebody ought to magnify your God. He's greater than your team. I know you might have on a team jersey, but he's greater than your team. He's greater than our church. He's greater than our friends. He's the ultimate. He's our mighty God. He's our battle axe in the time of war. He's our strong tower. He's our healer. Oh yeah, he's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Tiskanu, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Makedish. I wish I had somebody just would glorify him in this building. Oh, he is the lover of your soul. Man may reject you, but I love God. Hallelujah, that even though people may walk away, the Bible said that he'll never leave us, neither forsake us, that he'll be a present help in the time of trouble. Anybody glad about that this morning? That's how much he loves us. Oh, my God. Anybody love Jesus? I say, anybody love Jesus? Anybody love Jesus? Oh, yeah. Anybody love Jesus? Oh, my God. He's an awesome God. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on and exalt him in this building. Hallelujah. Oh, we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Oh, we love you, Lord, because you look past our faults and saw our needs. We love you, God, because you laid down your life. We thank you right now, God, that you sit high, that you make an intercession for each and every one of us. Ah, I don't want the rock to cry out for me. I got my own hands. I got my own mouth. I got my own feet. I can glorify God right where I stand because he's been good. Just that good. David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on and put your hands together one more time. Ah, is he worthy of the praise? 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 Oh, my God. He's better than a slice of cake. Y'all ain't going to help me. He's better than the best steak that I can eat. Glory to God. He's better than the best game I can watch. He's better than the best movie that I can see. Glory to God. He's just that good. He's better than a house. He's better than a car. He's better than some clothes. He's better than some money. I wish I had somebody. Oh, my God. would just glorify him. Oh, because he's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Touch your neighbor and say he's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Oh, he's better than good. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Hallelujah. Ah, yeah. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. In this place. Ah, yeah. My God, my God. Come on and put those hands together for your God. Look at your neighbor and say he's good. Yeah, he's better than good. Amen. Amen. While you're standing, I know we had, we were going to transition to our offering, but I think that the word of God should, is fitting right here. Amen. And I'm honored and privileged to be able to introduce my friend.
my colleague in the gospel. Not everybody you can call friend. Can I get a witness? But over the years, I've seen his friendship exhibited. And I thank God for joining us together. He is a great gift to the body of Christ. For 25 years, he worked at IBM as an executive until God pulled on him and tugged on his heart to leave a job where he was making figures, six figures, six figures, six figures. Now, you, you definitely got to be called by God to leave a job where that has been sustaining you for years at a certain level. But because of his willingness and humbleness and obedience to the voice of God, that he came off that platform to another platform where he loves people, loves to help build them up, loves to see them grow and loves to see them mature in the things of God. But not only that, but he shares his love for other pastors to see them walking in the gift and talent that God has put inside of them. So I'm just privileged to, to know him. He pastors a church in Broadway, North Carolina, a church where their membership is more than the amount of people that are populated in Broadway. Yeah. Presently, I believe he holds about two services, three services. He holds a Thursday night that has about 320 individuals. And then they mirror that ser service on Sunday where they have presently two services. And they're getting ready to go to a third service. Yeah, y'all ought to put your hands together for that. Which shows how God is working in and through him as well as that ministry to touch the lives of people. I often see on Facebook, I mean, it seems like every week they're baptizing somebody. And that's critical. That, that, that's critical. God is moving there. So we are blessed today. I mean, when I... When we asked him to come, I didn't know whether he would leave that type of, of, of setting and environment on a Sunday morning. Hard to get pastors out of their pulpit on Sunday morning. But that goes to show of his love and appreciation for our relationship. So I'm definitely honored today that he is in this house and he's going to grace us with the word of God. And I truly believe that it's going to bless our life. So I want our hearts to be open and receptive to what thus saith the Lord. And come on and put your hands together for none other than J3. Amen. Crossroads. I'm humbled by the presence of God. I was raised as a worshiper, and we worshiped him this morning. Amen. Amen. I was telling my friend Dustin, who's on our board, and I was trying to find a way to get to church this morning before I came to your church because I wanted to worship. I laid in the bed at five years old feeling the Holy Spirit because my mother would play worship at night while my father was an alcoholic. She raised me as a worshiper. And what I love about Dante's, what I love about my worship pastors, they don't appear to entertain you. They lead you into the presence. Amen. The Bible says that when we turn our attention to him, that times of refreshing will come. That where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And what our physical bodies lack through our brokenness and our failures and the brokenness of life, we get refreshed in the presence of God. Amen. And so where I thought I was missing out on worship, I got blessed. Dantes, you are blessing to the kingdom of God. I don't know if you married your wife only because she can sing, but that woman can worship too. Amen. 
Amen. Y'all be seated. Y'all be seated. Let me get some of the formality out of the way. And uh, I'm Pastor J3. It's a long story. I was raised in the church. I was a drug baby. Anybody been a drug baby? You were drugged to church every time the doors were open. Let me tell you something. I grew up where you had church on Sunday nights. We didn't watch a single Super Bowl. Come on. But when we had Crossroads and we started, we said, there ain't going to be no Sunday night services. You're going to spend that time with your families. So I get to watch the Super Bowl tonight. And uh, we do Sunday on Thursday because we realize there are a lot of families that work weekends. They travel. They have kids in sports. And we have a separate church that comes on Thursdays. And then we have two separate churches that come at 9.15 and 11.15. And I'm just honored uh, to be the pastor, as, as, as uh, Pastor David said, that um, God called me out of the corporate world. I said I would never be a pastor. You hear me? I said never. My wife also said she'd never leave Wilmington, but homegirls in Sanford today. <laughs> so I've learned you don't say never. And, um, and God called me into the ministry, and I could not ignore the call. And it's a big way. I don't have time to tell you, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about one of them you know, fleeces that you said, okay, one more fleece, you know, and then another fleece. Like, he called me out, and so I could not ignore, because I knew the career that he gave me was only given to me by him, so if I didn't give him what he first gave me, then I wouldn't be blessed in moving forward, and so, but let me tell you something, you know when you're called, when you take over a church that's five or six hundred people, and the first year you run it down to 190. You're talking about hard, woo. But you know, when I finally got mad and I just said that they all go, I'm, I, I was preaching timid and, and bound up. And I just love the fact that Dantes, he didn't just walk on the stage. He had to prepare himself this morning to do that. that. That was the spirit man coming alive in him. And I got to this place where I said, God, you've called me to preach. I'm just going to do that. Because every week a family was leaving. Every week somebody, because, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I worked at IBM. You make a change, you make a change. And, you know, but, the, you know, the church, they say you bump the piano because people won't realize you moved it. But I just picked the thing up and moved it. And we had, we had a choir, and I sung in the choir, but I didn't want a choir. I wanted a worship team, and I changed the stage, I changed the lights, I put a coffee shop in, and people don't like change. And so they rolled out, and you know, it was cool when J3 was the son of the house, but now all of a sudden he's the father of the house, it was hard. But I want you to know, to any success in ministry by God's hand and his hand only, but I, I finally just started being who God called me to be. And our church grew in a town of 1,100, we're several thousand people now. And it's all by the glory of God. And I noticed this jersey day. I didn't want to wear a jersey because some of y'all not might be able to listen to what I got to say. Because can you imagine if I wore a New England shirt today? You couldn't listen to me. Oh, we got some New England people in here. I wouldn't even feel spiritual if I wore a New England shirt. But I will say we, we baptized. Man, the Lord is blessing. We baptized over 200 people last year. We've got a wall over the last five years. Yeah, give God a praise. We celebrated 30 years of ministry, and we've got a wall in our, in our lobby that has over 800 pictures of people being baptized over just the last five or six years, and, and this year alone, we've baptized 23 people, and, and uh, amen, amen. And I, and I, I remember as I, as I got to the pulpit really late, and I said, let me tell you two things that are not going to happen today, or going to happen, and I said, number one, Cowboys are not going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I said, I said, J3 is not going to get you out on time today. <laughs> Because I've been prepared too long to like get people out on time. I said, it ain't going to happen. And so, um, but I'm so honored, uh, Pastor David and Vicki, just, they're just dear friends of mine. I, I, love, I love ministry. I love friends that, that share. You know, most of my friends, uh, you know, I got some tax collectors, so to speak, and, and re- disreputable sinners in my life. But really, the closest people to me are those that love Jesus the most. And, and uh, I was regretting the man took me out in the side room. I made him, we opened the door. I want to get some of that, you know. <laughs> Pastor David was going off. I love it. Well, I'm honored to be here. I'm excited to be here, and uh, it is a privilege, and I'm telling you, it's just, just been a refreshing moment to be. Do you know that John said that he saw before the throne of God millions upon millions worshiping? And I just, I just love this environment, so much so that I asked Pastor David, could the guys come up after I preach and do that? I love you. Because what I'm going to talk about today is the love of God, and I'm going to talk about the difference between our love for God, which we tend to focus on, and his love for us. And I think when we sing that song at the end of this service, we're going to sing it a little differently. Come on, somebody. But uh, thank you. Happy birthday, Pastor. Come on. He's only got me by two years, but uh, they say age is a number. That's a lie. Everything starts to break when you get over 50. I can't tell you how many surgeries I've had, and I'm facing a knee replacement now. So age is not cool. I told my dad, it's just a number. It's not. It's really real. So... um, 
But uh, my wife sends her blessings. She's got the crud earlier this week. We put her, she didn't have COVID, thankfully. We put her in quarantine, and so she really wants to be here. I hate that she's not here. But uh, my son is here, Gabriel, my precious son. God had a sense of humor. We went about eight years, couldn't conceive, and now I'm 53 with an eight-year-old. Get you some of that. They say, well, he keeps you young. I said, no, he keeps me exhausted. And I pray he's Alpha, the first and the last, Omega. <laughs> but um, what an honor to be here. Again, love your pastors and love what God is doing through Faith City. And, I, and I've had the privilege to kind of sit back and be part of this process for many years. I'll never forget, and I think it was 2019, Pastor David asked me to preach the relaunch of, of, of your church, Faith City. And we were, we were in the Clayton Civic Center, I believe it was, Clayton or Garner, Clayton Civic Center. And, uh, and I didn't know that, that bishops come from Virginia, and, all, and I'm, I'm dressed like this, and there's guys in three-piece suits, there's bishops from all over, and I'm like one of the few white guys in the building, and I looked over to Pastor David, I said, what you got me here preaching? He said, you the man for the job. So I guess I'm the man for the job today, and I'm, I'm excited to be here, but let's first pray for me, and then let's, let's just ask God's blessing. Father, we just thank you so much. Um, for your sweet presence, Lord. And you said, as, as we draw nigh to you, you draw nigh to us. Father, today we're here with needs and hurts and pains. And, and God, you know us individually. You said you've numbered the very hairs on our head because you love us so much. Father, would you minister through your Holy Spirit, through this word? God, we know it's your living word. It's alive and it changes us. And Father, would you speak through me? I'm just a man. I'm, I'm Father, I'm, I'm a broken man. I don't have all the answers. Father, it's only by the power of of the Holy Spirit, do I even speak? But God, bring to my remembrance, bring revelation to us today that we might understand these principles found in your living word of God today. We'll give you the glory and the honor. And today I pray that we will leave more excited, more committed to you in an understanding of this revelation that you love us. Father, we bless you today. Bless this church. God, I pray blessings upon blessings. And God, I, I thank you for this light and this darkness that's in this world. And continue to have your hand on Pastor David and Vicky's life and Dante's and this entire church. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing. And, and we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. And God's people said amen. amen. You know, just like Super Bowl Sunday, we're always comparing uh, our love. You know, you, know, you, you see movies uh, where they say, if you love me, you do this. Come on, come on, spouses, because we use that. You know, if you love me, you will do this. And I, my son and I are competitive, and he's a mini-me, and my wife is a total introvert, and she's not got a big personality like me, but my, my son is like me. And we were arguing the other day about how much we love each other, and I said, Gabriel, I just love you more than you love me. He said, Dad, I love you so much that I put your love in my backpack and take it to school. <laughs> I'm a little competitive. I said, I said, Gabriel, my love fills this whole house. He said, Dad, that's nothing. My love fills the universe for you. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, you got me, boy. But I want to talk to you today about what is love. Because as a Christian, a lot of times we focus on our love for God. And if we don't do something right, then we must not love him enough. But do you know the Apostle Paul says, I love God, but sometimes I do the things I don't want to do. And sometimes I don't do the things I want to do, but it doesn't mean I don't love him. And it says here in 1 John 4, 10, it says this is love. Because, see, we think love is defined by actions that benefit us. But it says this is love. It's not that we love God. See, the emphasis is always, well, I love God. If you're sick, you're not loving God enough. You know? But he says, no, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So many times we focus on, well, I've got to love God more, and we, we try to love God more, and there's all this effort. Do you know there's freedom when we live for the Lord, and when we rest in His love? It's not that we love Him, but He loved us first. Even the best of them fail to love God with all that they have. Think about this. The sum total of the law is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, do we really love God that much? Because we've got lives, we have jobs and careers and families to raise, and we have, we have all these things that distract us, and we'll make up our minds today that I'm going to spend some time alone with the Lord, but you end up going to bed later, you don't sleep good, and then the enemy wants to condemn you because you don't love God enough. Come on. Even the best of those in the Old Testament failed to keep this commandment. God said King David was a man after his own heart, but yet he committed murder and he committed adultery, but he was a man after their own God. Did that mean that King David didn't love God? No, he says, Lord, wash me with hyssop. Make me white as snow. Create in me a right heart and a right mind. See, when our focus is on how much we love God, 
pride and self-righteousness can come up. See, one of the reasons I said I would never be a pastor is because I watched pastors wear three-piece suits, and they would say God like God. Like, who speaks like that, you know? And they were so holy, they glowed in the dark. And I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be so self-righteous that I was glow in the dark. I wanted to be a normal person. And he'll tell you, my board says I'm raw, real, and relatable. I got issues just like you, but I'm better than I used to be. Amen. Amen. And I, I see people, they come into our church and they've never been taught the gospel or they've walked away from God for 20, 30 years and they get saved and they think they got to change everything. Yeah, you shouldn't be wearing a busted up blouse and a skirt up high. You should change the way. But they get so changing and so focused on their love for God that they become self-righteous. Pastor, would thou go us to breakfast with me so thou can have a conversation? <laughs> Not if thou going to speak like that. I mean, they get so holy, they glow in the dark, and they're focusing so much on what they do. But when you get it right long enough, you'll get prideful. But your knees will get cut out from under you the moment you think you love God so much. And what happens is we begin to say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in you. And that's the wrong mindset. Because when you get to that point, you'll have entitlement, and you'll demand that the pastor let you do things. Our heart is to serve. I'm a servant leader. I hire my staff, and I say, you're going to take the trash out. They say, why? I say, because I take the trash out. Amen. We're born to think about ourselves, and we do things to make ourselves feel righteous. 2 Timothy 3 says men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. And what I found through this pandemic is there's something called a religious conscience. This is something the Lord revealed to me through the pandemic. Because, you know, I, how many people you grew, grew up in church? I mean, you just, you at church all the time. Sometimes the people in the church were meaner than the people that didn't know Jesus. But they were in church every time the doors were open. But they were mean and nasty on the inside. Because we live our lives based on our definition of God's love, our, how we do it, and we get self-righteous. And we become arrogant. We become prideful. Here, ooh, ooh, we become judgmental. And then we start talking about the speck in someone's eye, but we got a plank and a boulder in our own eye. And I watched people through the pandemic, that, because, see, the pandemic released people from church. We were, we were even bigger than we are now. And I'm about to go to a third service on Sunday. But people aren't coming anymore because they've been free from self-condemnation. See, you'll go to the soup kitchen and dip soup for an hour, but never talk to the homeless person to find out what got them in that spot. But you'll leave and put on worship music and feeling so good about yourself because it's all about you. And too often, if you're not careful, you'll serve and make it about you. And that's why people get offended and leave the church. Because it... Mm. Is this going live? <laughs> Had a lady on our team singing on the worship team. Our worship team is phenomenal. It's, it's as good as anything in North Carolina. Dantes would tell you, Pastor Dave, sung second chair, sung back up the whole time. Good. Wanted, wanted her own solo. Okay, you ready for what comes with the solo? You're going to have to rehearse. And, you got to, and the moment she did it, it wasn't good. So you got to tell her. And then she got mad and left the church. We had a guy coming in our church, and we know he's not. The, he's a player looking for a woman. I see him with this one this week, see him with that one that week. That brother ain't got his heart right. But then all of a sudden, one Sunday, he gets radically saved and then wants to come to me about three months later during the week. He said, Pastor, I need to meet with you. I said, what's up? He said, I can't go to your church anymore. I said, why? He says, because 75% of those people in that church don't live for the Lord. I said, three months ago, you didn't live for the Lord. But when we focus on our love for God, all of a sudden, we start to look at people differently. And I love it when you get into worship and you see one really worshiping and crying because they realize only by the grace and the mercy of God can I call out his name. The law, all 613 of them, condemns the best of us but the grace. Somebody say grace. grace. The grace of God and the love of God through Christ Jesus saves all of us, the worst of us. It's for hundreds of years, God put men under the law, but men could not even fulfill the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. So God says enough. And he sends his son to, why? To put us in relationship with him. God loves you so much with all of us that he holds nothing back from us. Because of that, that's why we love him, because he first loved us. See, the emphasis has to be on that God loves us first and we love him in return. Come on, somebody. But we don't have to earn his love. I, I'm a human being. I got issues. And I don't just love everybody unconditionally. You know what I mean? I try to keep my hands under the dash so I don't have road rage. Come on, somebody. Because people get on my nerves. 
And I don't love everybody like God. Sometimes you got to earn my love. Come on. But we don't have to earn his love. You're never going to meet someone that God doesn't love. You're never going to have a person. Everybody's got somebody that you, you, it's hard to pray for. You get their name on a prayer. You don't even have them on the prayer list. You took it off. You got the eraser and erase them because I don't even want to see their name. But you're never going to have anybody in your life that God doesn't love and he's not willing to forgive. And people say all the time, well, if your God is so loving, why would he send people to hell? I'm like, you don't understand. He loves you so much that he gives you a choice to accept his love or not. Don't let anybody tell you that God is loving. He'll say, no, no, no. You decide if you accept his love, then if you love me, then keep my commandments. God put Israel under the law. But when Jesus came, he brought grace and put us under the grace of God. And he put us into sonship. That's why you are a daughter and you are a son of the Most High God. That's why God says when we go to him, we can cry out, Abba, Father. An intimate term for God, our Father. But holiness was the focus. Holiness should be our focus. The Bible says if you fear God, it's the beginning of wisdom. But when holiness is all you focus on, you'll lose the relational side of the relationship with God. When Peter first encounters Jesus, he had been fishing all night, and Jesus is teaching to the multitudes. And there sat Peter by his boat, and Jesus says, can I use your boat to push out from the shore so they can hear me? Peter's like, sure. Really doesn't know who this is. He's aware of the scriptures. And after he gets through teaching, what did Jesus say to him? Why don't you push out a little bit into the deep for a catch? He minimizes a catch. And Peter's like, Master, you don't understand. I've been fishing all night. But he said, at your word. See, if the people of God would take the word of God. I tell people all the time, Pastor, we need marriage counseling. I said, no, you don't. Read the Bible and do what the word says. Honest to God. All you want to do is prove who started the fire. You don't want to put it out. But if we read the living word, he said, but at your word. And then he caught a a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fish. And what did he say? He got on his knees and said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And if we focus only on the holiness of God, we'll come into this place thinking that we can't worship because we're not worthy. But we only worship because he's worthy. He says here in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh, Lord, please lead me. I am a sinful man. Was Peter focused on the love of God or the holiness of God? Obviously, the holiness of God. That's why he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And if you come into a room like this where the power of the Holy Spirit is so real and you only focus on the holiness of God, you will say, I'm a sinful man or woman and I can't raise my hands. But we raise them out of the mercy and grace and the love of God for our lives. He was aware that he was in the presence of God and the very prophesied Messiah. And when you look at God in His holiness only, you'll view a God that you can't relate to and one certainly you can't go to and one you can't be relational with. He said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans 6.1, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? He says, of course not, we've been united with Christ in baptism and His death. But this is what we have to understand. This is why God sent his son, for God so loved the world. And when we take our focus off the love of God and put our focus back on ourselves, we navigate back to religion and religious things that make us feel good about a religious conscience. And Jesus said, you can do all these things in my name, but if you don't do it with a heart of love, I won't even recognize it. And that's the problem in the church world. A lot of times people are doing something because it's about them and what makes them feel good. And it should be an apostle of humility and about serving God so much so that if you give a cup of cold water in his name, it will not go without its reward. Now let's look at Peter again. He's a disciple called by Jesus, one of the 12. And on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus says, hey, listen, you guys need to know that I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be beaten and crucified. And you all are going to betray me. What did Peter say? Boastful, arrogant, mouthy Peter. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I know these brothers, we've been with them for three years. They don't love you like I love you. I know they're going to fail you, but listen, I will never fail you. Matter of fact, Jesus, I will go and die with you tonight. See, what happens is when we focus on our love for God and what makes us feel good, we'll get arrogant. And you got to be careful because pride comes before fall. This is a great example. All these brothers will fail you, but I never will. I'm ready to die tonight. And Jesus said, Peter, 
before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny that you're faithful. No. See, if we understand that it's only by God's love and grace that we'll, 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 listen, at any moment, all of you guys could leave this place and get in the wrong situation that caused you to do something you never thought you would do. And that's why we don't walk in arrogance. We walk in awareness. See, it's a great example of what happens when we focus on our love for God, which is self-righteousness. Because I cannot take a self-righteous, judgmental Christian. We, we baptized over 200 people last year, and, and, and it's only by the grace of God. But I remember getting uh, undressed from the church clothes, getting on your, you know, your comfortable clothes on Sunday. My wife said, boy, you're getting lit up on social media. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, all these uh, Presbyterian priests and priests all the way up to Detroit, boy, they just lighten you up, how it's not godly, and, and you're supposed to delay. And boy, I was like, is this the spirit of the Pharisees? I said, the Bible says repent and be. I mean, she goes, please stop, stop. And I just, so I didn't. But there's judgmental people. I, mean, I was like, when's the last time you baptized anybody? You know what I mean? Because I, I got flesh in me. I got to be careful. But I didn't. I just pulled back. You know, sometimes it's good to listen to you. you, you there are helpmates, guys. Just listen to them sometimes. Amen, sister. That's right. They didn't, God didn't give Adam to Eve for her help. He, she, he's the one who needed help, so he presented Eve to Adam. Because we need help. And there's some older gentlemen in here that took, finally hard-headed, you learned it. It took you a while to figure it out. All of Peter's confidence was in his love for Jesus, but it led to his failure, and not the love of Jesus had for him. It says he fell from grace, cursing and swearing an oath that he does not know the man, Jesus. And when the rooster crowed the third time, Jesus' words came back to him, and the Bible says he ran out of the courtyard weeping bitterly. Let me tell you right there, that was repentance right there. Because he did not want to do that, and he just spoke. Because you got to know your flesh, you got to know the weaknesses of the flesh. But John, somebody say John. John. See, John the disciple, he focused on the love that God had for him. And in John 19, 26, when Jesus, this is Jesus on the cross, and when he saw his mother Mary standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, which was John, here is your mother, talking about Mary. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Do you know what's missing from scripture? That Joseph had died. Why would Mary go home with John if Joseph was alive? And where's Peter? Peter's nowhere to be found at the cross. And when you focus on your love, your love's going to fail. You're going to walk in self-condemnation. But when you focus on the love of God, you won't leave him so easily. And John focused on God's love for him, and he stayed with Jesus so much so that he was there when Jesus needed him to be there. Take care. This is going to be your mother. Treat her like your mother. We, lo we Christians love to trust in our own efforts, but through his love, God wants a relationship with us. Yes, we revere God, we fear God, but more importantly, we have intimacy through our relationship and his love for us. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us first. Now fast forward, Jesus is risen from the dead. And what is the first thing he says, the angel of God said? Go tell my disciples and Peter. See, what happens when you focus on your love and your love doesn't measure up and your love fails, we think all of a sudden God wants to discredit us, but it shows us the Bible reveals God's heart. And here, God is thinking so much, Jesus is thinking so much about Peter, he didn't go said, good to him. See, people, Peter didn't think he was a disciple anymore. So Jesus gave him what he needed to hear. Go tell my disciples, because he would have excluded himself, but and Peter. Come on, somebody. That's love. That's love. He said, tell my disciples and Peter that I have risen just as I said I would, and I'm going to go before them into Galilee. See, we love people based on actions that benefit us. And the moment their actions don't benefit us, we don't love them anymore. And I will say, listen, if somebody tells you they love you, they're never going to leave you, they're your ride or die, I'd be careful on that. Don't hold your breath. Because I've had so many people say, J3, I'm with you. Uh, they ain't nowhere to be found now. Because they're focusing on their love. Jesus is raised from the dead. And one day before Peter would deny Christ, he says, because see, it's, our love focuses on religion and the steps. So we like the do's and the don'ts. And he goes to Jesus and said, um, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven? Because he's thinking about somebody when he asks that question. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand my love. See, one of the reasons that we can't accept God's love is because we don't love like God's love. 
And Jesus said, no, you don't forgive them up to seven, but you forgive them 70 times seven. Now, if you do the math on a 24-hour period, that's every three minutes. Why? Because God is willing to love you, forgive you, and restore you every three minutes of your life. So he expects, amen. He expects us to love and forgive. Every, I ain't saying you got to have filet mignon with them at the house, but it's the position of your heart. And I think one of the reasons that we don't focus on God's love for us is because we don't love the way God loves but you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And you have the ability to love the most difficult people in your life. I didn't say be an intimate relationship with them. I'm talking about to not have a posture of unforgiveness in your heart. And let me tell you something. Well, how will I know when you can pray for them? Really pray for them. I ain't talking about pray fire from heaven. I'm talking about pray for them. So the first time after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that he went and was on the road uh, to Emmaus and they came back and says, we have seen the Lord. He has truly risen and he's appeared to Simon Peter. Now we read in John 21, we think it, it, the heading of John 21 says the restoration of Peter, but that's not the restoration of Peter. That's the restoration into ministry for Peter, but there's something missing from the pages of scripture and that's that interaction that Jesus had with Peter and that was the restoration of Peter. Because if you fast forward, they're on a boat fishing again. They're not doing what he's called them to do. And he stands on the shore and he says, children, have you caught any fish? Why did he call them children? Because they're acting like children. They all went fishing and not doing the father's business. And then I love it. They're on the boat and it says the disciple whom Jesus loved recognized Jesus and says to Peter, it is the Lord. What did Peter do? He just went and jumped out of the boat like I'm going to Jesus. I can promise you he'd already been restored or he would have held back. Because when we focus on our love and then when our love fails, we hold back from God. We pull back from church. We certainly don't worship the way we just worshiped. But Peter had been restored and he actually ran to the Lord. I love this. When he gives you a moment, in Psalm 139, he imagined you into existence. In every moment, somebody say moment. Every moment of your life was written in his book before one came to pass. What happens is if you, when you focus on your love, you won't see the moments that God has created. He will do things for you just to show you that he loves you. I mean, he's done stuff for me that don't matter to you, but it's just a little nudge that says, I'm just letting you know I did this because I love you. And if we don't focus on his love, we won't recognize him when he shows up in our lives. The church has been missing this for so long, preaching the law and the do's and the don'ts. And I grew up, I grew up literally where the pastor would hold you over hell every week. I'm not lying. My dad said he woke up one night and mom had gone to the bathroom. He thought God come back and then excluded him. Because pastors, man, because here's the deal. No, nobody want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. But that won't last. Because he didn't, your, your, his love is not perfected in you if you dwell in fear. And so Jesus doesn't hold you over hell. If you read John chapter 21, he made fish. He made breakfast for them. Jesus is kind and merciful, and he's willing to restore you every three minutes of a day. When we live our life through the lens of self-righteousness, we don't call out to a God who judges us, because in our hearts, we know that we don't measure up. But when you realize his love made a way for you to be in relationship with him, you will call out to a God that loves you, and a God is willing to forgive you and restore you. And too many Christians have been trusting in their own righteousness for too long. But the word of God says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Come on, read with me in Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and pure with sin. I hate that. I don't like it. I wish it would be different. But we live in a sin. Everybody's got a question. Well, why did we live in a sin-cursed world? And the world is going crazy because sin is running rampant because men's hearts have waxed cold to the love of God. And it says we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Now, notice that the scripture doesn't say that our sin is as filthy rags. Now, you would think that would be what would be sin. But it says our righteousness. That's you going to church every day of the week. That's you giving of your tithes. That's you serving. All of that means nothing. And when it says in the Old Testament, not to be too, too whatever forward, that it was menstrual cloths, sold menstrual cloths, filthy rags is what it's referring to in the Old Testament. That your righteousness that makes you feel good about your walk with God is worthless to God. It's his righteousness. The Bible says our lives are hidden in Christ because we've been made right with God through Christ Jesus. We're in right standing because of what Jesus did, not what you did. 
That's why when you go to um, Matthew 7, start in verse 21 through 23, when they stood before him and says, we did all this stuff. We did all this righteous stuff in your name. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you work of iniquity. Our entire life's goal is to know him. And there's nothing preventing us to know him. So you got to get your eyes off the religious stuff. Because listen, if we're honest, we all have a little bit of that in us. Because I want to feel good about my walk with God. I want to feel like I'm, a, you know, we, we, we do things to earn the approval of our parents, of our spouses. And, and that's important. But we've got to un- understand something. We can't earn his love. It's a free gift. That's what eternal life is. It says right here, uh, the Apostle Paul, who gets it, just like John. I've been crucified, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Somebody say me. Me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Somebody say me. Me. And gave himself for me. me. He says individually his thoughts for you outnumber the grains of the sand. That he loves you so much that this hair right here has a number and this has a number. But why? Because he numbered them because he knows you intimately. And he says he saw you in the darkness of the womb when you were being formed. And he imagined you into existence. He loves you beyond anything that you can comprehend. Paul didn't say that he loves us. Paul says he loves me. And and he says that we may know the height, the depth, the width, the knowledge of God which passes, the love of God which passes all natural understanding. This is not something you're going to get with a head knowledge. you got to get a revelation through the Holy Spirit that reveals to you there's a love in you. Because here's the deal, when you allow his love to fill you, it'll get up in you so bad that you got to pour it out on other people. And that's what being a disciple who makes disciples do. Because I've got to do something when I leave this place, man. I get You just ask Dustin Blackwell, that dude right there. I'm telling you, the devil's tried to kill me. I almost died with COVID. I've had, I'm telling you, you could do something simple. They call it outpatient. There ain't nothing outpatient for me. <laughs> I have my gallbladder out. It's supposed to be simple. My dad's 70 years old. Had his gallbladder out. He's eating bacon the next day. You're not supposed to eat bacon the next day. I get my gallbladder out. Three days later, I'm in the ER on a Friday night, full moon. And the freaks come out on a Friday night on a full moon. And I'm not saying it's my love, but I got so much of his love in me, I embrace where I am. Nobody wants to go to the ER at 11 o'clock on a Friday night in a full moon. And he had to sit in the parking lot all night. He didn't want to do that. But I'm in there. I said, all right, where you got me? Show me what you got me here for. Give me a moment that you want me to do something with the love you put in me. I'm going to spill it out on somebody. I had three God moments. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, tears flowing down people's eyes. They'd have never had that moment. But if we get mad, well, God, see this, what God don't love you. He wouldn't have you up in this ER. Oh, shut your mouth. God's got you everywhere. And all things give thanks. I spent 11 days in the hospital during the pandemic right after it happened. Had my intestines a foot and a half removed. Get you some of that. I had God moment after God moment with nurses. And they had to pull the mask down and wipe their eyes. Because you just, because that love should rise up in us. That's what worship does. The, the man, the, the flesh man and woman dissipates in the spirit and the love of God. And when you leave this place, you should be good and ready for a week to come. But you got to, just like you got to eat physically, you got to eat spiritually. You got to come back to the house next week. Here's one of the first instances of this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, appeared in the upper room. As Jesus told his disciples, one would betray him. One of them would betray him in John 13, 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Verily, truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. I'm going to tell you, take the scripture off for a minute. I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus just said, one of us in this room is going to fail him, I wouldn't be looking at you going, uh-huh, he wearing a... He wearing a Patriot shirt, and you know he ain't godly. I would say, God, help me not to fail you, because I know I'm capable of anything. But they started looking at each other like, who is it going to be? I always thought you had issues, you know what I mean? Because that's how we look at people in the church. I'm telling you, our church, we got a mixed bag of everything up in our house. I'm telling you, it, it, it ain't the same. We, we were laughing the other day, some of the people we had to pastor and stuff. But hey, God, we said send them, and we get them all. But it says... Verse 23, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. One translation says he was resting on his bosom or resting on his chest. Now, this is a grown man, but he's resting on the Messiah. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word uh, was God, and the Word came down in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's who he's leaning against. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, hey, 
you seem to have figured this thing out with Jesus, you all up in his Kool-Aid and you, you understand this thing. Ask him. He didn't feel close enough to Jesus to ask him himself. So he says, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, this is John, he asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. John is the only disciple who knew who would betray Jesus. Why? Because he focused on Jesus' love for him and not his arrogant, self-righteous love for Jesus. John wasn't resting on his love. He was resting on God's love. There's a difference between familiarity and intimacy. And when you understand how much God loves you, you will be filled with his love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will begin to worship differently. You'll begin to thank him differently for his goodness, his mercy, and his love over your life. The number one reason he gave us the Bible is a love story to show us this is who God is. The Bible exposes the nature and the character of God. People say, well, God is this God. No, read the four Gospels and tell me that that's the God you think he is. Because Jesus is merciful, he's kind, he's loving. And Jesus even says, the Father loves the Son, has given him all things. He says, the Father has loved me before the foundation of the world. And Jesus said, just as the Father loved me, Jesus focused on the love of the Father for him. So have I loved you. That's the charge of a Christian. Just as the Father has loved us through Jesus Christ, so do we love others. There should be a difference. We shouldn't hear the word hypocrite. I know we got issues and we fail God, but we should hear and know there's something different about us because of the love of God that he's put inside of us. And there's a, there's, in the Bible, there's a law called first mention. The first mention of love in the Bible is found in a story about Abraham and Isaac. God says, take your son, your only son, the son that you love. See, every time the Bible mentions something for the first time, there's something, something significant about it. See, so when love was mentioned in the Bible, it wasn't between a man or a woman. It was between a father and his son. Come on. That's good right there. It was about the father's love for his son. The heavens opened when Jesus was being baptized. And God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As a noun, it means a much loved person. And you are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter of the Most High God. So God gives us a story. See, all in the Old Testament, these stories point to the Messiah. And I'm about to show you some parallels. It's pretty cool. He gives us this parallel of God's love for his son. With I, do you know that, that Abraham had two sons? But God doesn't recognize one of them. Why? Because he didn't wait for God to do what God wanted to do. And he had Sarah, well, uh, Abraham, I'm going to need you to sleep with my handmaid. I guess if you really want me to. <laughs> but God says, I gave you one son. You did the other one on your own. I'm going to love him. I'm going to bless him. But he says, take your only son, the son that you love. In Genesis 22, 2, read with me. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, Isaac and his son, and he split the wood. Somebody say wood. wood. For the burnt offering and for the burnt offering. In the Old Testament, the high priest never, the priest never sits because he's always offering a sacrifice for the atonement of sins. And they always have to sacrifice because people are always sinning. And there's nothing that satisfies the requirement of the sin. When you read, I'm going to go on a tangent. Do I have, I got a little bit of time. When you read in, uh, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Their eyes were opened. What did they do? They made fig leaf coverings. Now, what happened when God came on the scene? He made animal skin coverings. That wasn't so they would be comfortable because there had to be a blood atonement for the sin they had committed. He split the wood for the burnt offering and rose because there's going to be a burnt offering that was going to satisfy the requirement of sin, and that was Jesus, and went to the place of which God told him. Then on the third day, come on, somebody say third day. So much now you can see. It's just pointing to the cross. It's pointing to the resurrection. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Take the scripture off. Do you remember when Jesus is our, Jesus dressed the, the Pharisees down. I mean, like he said, your father ain't Abraham. It's the, it's the devil. Like he, he was raw on them. He said, I know Abraham. He saw my day and he, he rejoiced. He said, you're not even 50 years old. How do you, Abraham see you? Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. God let him see what was going to happen on Mount Calvary. Come on, somebody. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder. Just pray with me. Stay here. I'm going to go over here and pray. 
because my night has come. Do you see the parallels in here? Stay here and I will go and worship and we will come back to you. Wait a minute, Abraham. God told you to offer your son as, an atone, as, a, as a burnt offering. What do you mean we'll come back? I don't know. I'm just trusting God, but I know we're coming back. He can raise him back from the dead or whatever, but I'm going to be obedient. Mm. The son you love, what was God thinking? An example of his son whom he loves. And he wanted to see, do you really, see God, want, he wanted to see, do you really love me? Because if you love me, you're going to offer that son, the only son that you love that you waited for. It was a three-day journey. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. Scripture points to Jesus, the Son of God. And what was interesting is you notice he put the, the wood on his back. What did Jesus carry? The cross, the wooden cross up to Mount Calvary. What another, another mountain? Because God chose that specific mountain because 2,000 years later when God's Son, whom he loves, would die beside this mountain called Mount Moriah called Calvary. Do you notice what Abraham asked, uh, uh, Isaac asked Abraham? Father, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the lamb? Questions in the Bible are very significant. Where is the lamb? Son, the Lord will provide for him a sacrifice. And see, that question was answered when John was baptizing and Jesus came. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of mankind. In Revelation, it says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. See, all this stuff was put into motion. That's why Romans 8, 28 can be true to your life because all things work together because he saw it before you were born and he had time to get a counter plan for what's happening. And it didn't mean that he wanted it to happen. It just meant he has a counter plan because we live in a sin cursed world and your neighbor can, can curse you and hurt you because he's got a free will and God's not going to stop him because he's got to live under a free will. We don't understand that, but we have a free will to serve him or not. And so does your neighbor, your colleague at work. Now, Isaac was no little boy. Scholars say Isaac was between 18 and 20. He could have slapped that old man and put him on the, on the altar. So the point of the story is Isaac was willing to be the sacrifice. Jesus was willing. He said, no one takes my life. I willingly lay it down. Do you remember what happened when they were praying in the garden? And the Bible says the temple guards and the soldiers came with torches and swords and weapons and a large contingent. King James says a contingent of soldiers came and they came and they came forward. And what did Jesus do? He stepped forward. Who are you looking for? Mm. Jesus the Nazarene, imagine them being right there. He says, I am he. The Bible says they drew back and fell back. Why? Because when he said the words, I am, I am the first and the last. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. The Bible says they fell back on their backs. They're laying on the ground because the power of him being the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah, came through those words, I am, and they got hit with the presence of God. Now, who are you looking for? Ain't nobody taking his life. He willingly laid it down for you. And the moral of the story is Abraham didn't withhold his son, but later it says that God provided a ram in the thicket. Normally rams get caught by the wool or their hair, but he got caught with his horns. And when he came out, there was a crown of horns on his head. And the thing is, he didn't make Abraham go through the pain of losing his son, but he made his son go. He went through the pain of losing his son. So you could never say that God doesn't love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish and have everlasting life. And so when the devil tries to tell you God doesn't love you no God didn't withhold his son he sent his son to die as a, as full for our transgressions and our sins Jesus said in John 10 17 the father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it up again no one can take my life from me who are you looking for Jesus of Nazarene I told you I am he you can't take his life that's why when they went to get stones to stone him the Bible said he would just disappear they couldn't kill him because he won't go on until it's his time and let me tell you something you ain't leaving this world until it's your time. Precious in the sight of the Lord or the death of his saints. Ain't the devil is not taking anybody's life that belongs to God. We lost a dear friend last night, 60 years old, been praying for her for 18 months. I wanted God to heal her, he didn't. Precious in the sight of the Lord or the death of his saints. God spared Abraham the pains of a father's heart being broken by the loss of his son, but he did not spare himself. 
Every time Jesus referred to God, he referred to him as his father. But on the cross, when God had to forsake his only son, the transgressions, the sins, the nastiness that we do, and when we get on our deathbeds, we go, oh, I just wish I hadn't have failed God so much. They were placed on him. And this is when Jesus said, my God, my God. He didn't say father, because sin separates us from the father. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had to be forsaken. God didn't spare himself from that pain so that we could be in relationship with him. Everything Jesus did was to restore relationship that Adam and Eve lost. He came down in the cool of the day just to talk to them. He cares about your details. People tell me, well, I can't pray about that. That's too big for God. Nothing's too big, God. He came down in the cool of the day. He cares about every intimate detail in your life. So when Jesus came down, come up out of the water, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. You can come on up and play keys. I'm going to fast forward because I'm running out of time. i got two minutes. The heavens opened. He said, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. What, what did it say? It says, the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, what, notice what the devil says to Jesus. If you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. If you're the son of God, leap from this temple and he will give, he's quoting scripture. He'll give his angels charge of you. Notice the restraint of the devil. One word he's leaving out. He didn't say, if you're the beloved son of God. He says, see, that's what the devil's trying to tell you all the time. The devil will try to tell you through loss. That's why I'm praying my buddy's family who lost their, their grandmother, their mother, their, their, their wife, that will not lose their faith because the enemy will say, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have allowed Miss Brenda to die. But God loves you. You're his beloved son. And that's why he never said, Jesus, the beloved son of God. If you're the son, he didn't say that because he's always got schemes and strategies to separate us from the Lord. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Would you stand, please? I don't know what this message has done for you, but we've got to be careful as Christians not to get to this place that that we think we figured it out. We should mature over time. The Bible talks about babes being on milk and over time we should mature to meat. But we should never get to this place of arrogance where we focus on, look what I did. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. In my daily prayer journal I have, Lord, any success in ministry is by your hand and your hand only. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We gotta stay in a posture of humility. I don't know where you are today, but when you focus on your love, the enemy will use your love and condemnation to keep you from a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. But one thing the Lord tells me in his word is there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And I don't know if you're disappointed in yourself and you fail God and you're focusing on your love for God and you must not love God enough. You'll never love God enough, but he loves you enough. And as we go back into worship with the team, I want you to sing this song differently. And we should declare our love for God, our reverence for God. But I want you to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. A love that knows no end. It's, it's never ending. And every three minutes of a day, he's willing to love you, forgive you, and restore you. Father, we just thank you for this ministry. We thank you for this time of worship, Father. Would you touch us? Would you bring more revelation about your powerful love for our lives? In Jesus' name, and God's people said amen. If you're in here on today, you heard the word preached about God's love. If you've been looking at yourself, finding yourself unfit and unworthy, or thinking you are unfit and unworthy of the love of God, the word of God that we declared in this place on today should open up an understanding and a clarity to let us know that in spite of our love for him that we have a God that loves us greatly that he has looked past our faults and saw our needs and today if you want to enter into a relationship with him if you've been living a life outside of his will today you heard about the love of Christ and how much he loves us in spite of us 
And today he wants to bring you into an intimate relationship with him. So as amen. Again, we thank God for the man of God. Can we show him love on today? Amen. For the word of God on today. Amen. Well, come on and rest on your feet. Amen. This has been a blessed day. And we just honored. No Wednesday night service on today. We know Wednesday is Valentine's Day. Uh, so just enjoy uh, on Wednesday. And we just look forward to be back here on next Sunday as we start our new series. I'm in here excited. Amen. About the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for what you've done in this place. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your word. For the interest of your word, give us light. And we thank you for pouring it out into our life on today, helping us, giving us a broader understanding of what love is, your love. And God, we may we take your love and let it work in and through our life. God, to be that example in the earth. God, where so much evil and hatred is going on, I pray that we may be the light and the salt, that we may bring about a change everywhere we go in our communities, our workplace, and our families, exemplifying the love that you showed us. So we thank you. God bless us as we leave this place, but not your presence. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Have a blessed week on purpose. God bless you.